This week's Game of Thrones episode rewatch is coming right up. But first, I want to take a moment and thank our sponsor. Those are friends over at True Car. True Car has got some useful tips that you might not be aware of, like how a coffee filter and a little bit of olive oil can be used to clean your interior. You can also take the extra weight out of your car and improve your gas mileage. And also, if you end up taking your keychain remote and hold it up under your chin, it's supposed to increase its range. Now, I I don't know how they know any of that stuff, but here's something else you might not know that true car can also help you get a used car. That's right. True car isn't just for people buying a new car with their certified dealer network and nationwide inventory of nearly 1 million used cars. You'll enjoy real pricing on actual inventory and a simpler buying experience, whether you buy new or used. And with true car users can see what other people paid. So they'll know if they're getting a good deal before buying. They're more likely to enjoy a faster buying experience as well by connecting with a true car certified dealer when you're ready to buy that new or used car check out true car and enjoy a more confident car buying experience some features are not available in all states Winter was here, but we're just getting started on the Game of Thrones rewatch here as we get into Season 2, Episode 6 of Game of Thrones, The Old Gods and the New. And now, here are the two guys who will never yield Winterfell. I am Rob Sussman, here's Josh Wiggler. Josh, how are you? That's Prince Josh Wiggler to you. Prince. You know, I'm in charge now. I've taken over and I demand to be called by my my true and proper title. I'm sorry, Your Grace. Yes, it's okay. It's all right. I won't behead you for this. Okay. Uh, I I don't like my odds in that situation anyway. Like, I feel like uh, what Theon uh, accomplished with Roger Castle, I feel like I would do a much worse job, which does not speak well. So I'm I'm staying away from the sword. So I'm not even going to carry out the sentence. I'm not going to pass the sentence. I'm not going to go anywhere near it. Right. It'd be more like Jon Snow trying to behead you, Grit. Yeah, some like really bad beheading uh, attempts in this episode, you know? Yeah. Not everybody can be ill in pain, I suppose. Not everybody. It's an acquired skill, you know. Ned Stark <laughs> makes it look so easy, but there you go. So, Josh, we have a lot to talk about here. In the sixth episode, we are officially in the back half of Game of Thrones Season 2. Only four episodes left here in Game of Thrones Season 2. A lot of stuff to get to, but up front... This is going to be, I guess, uh, depending on when you're listening to this, I guess uh, we're recording this in uh, the final days of 2017. This will be the first episode of 2018. But we have a yes, happy new year to you. And also we have a scheduled break in the action coming up next week. Yes, no podcast next week. We are going to be skipping the second week of January. I'm going on vacay. Yeah, you're sailing to Dorne, right? I'm sailing to Dorne. That's right. I am going to Dorne and I'm going to have all of the Dornish red. And I will say no further details about what is in store in Dorne because we have not gotten there on Game of Thrones at this point. Okay, so that's where Marcella is headed. So that's uh, right. Just like that. <laughs> I'm on that boat. I'm Josh Wiggler boat. is on that boat. So no Game of Thrones uh, rewatch coming up this next week. And then we'll be back in two weeks to get into episode number seven. All right. So, Josh, uh, a lot of stuff going on. I guess we need to start our top story at this hour 
Winterfell under siege. Theon and the Greyjoys have now taken Winterfell with a skeleton crew. Yeah, this is bad. This is a very bad situation that's happening here, but it's the culmination of a lot of what we had been dealing with in the earlier portion of season two. Of course, Theon Greyjoy returning to the Iron Islands after many moons away and living with the Starks, and he uh, didn't know what to expect. I think he really expected the red carpet when he showed back up, but instead he got a cold shoulder from his father, from his sister. Basically, everybody in the Iron Islands has no respect for Theon. And so now he is deciding to take matters into his own hands to really accelerate his uh, his involvement in this new Greyjoy rebellion as Balan Greyjoy is fancying himself yet another contender here in the War of the Kings raging throughout Westeros. And Theon has completely cast aside his time with the Starks in favor of his time now with the Greyjoys. And in order to impress his people, impress his father, he has come up with this great plan to sack Winterfell. We saw those wheels start going into motion in last week's episode, and now they're bearing fruit. And unfortunately, uh, that fruit is rotten for people like Roger Cassell, who uh, does not survive uh, even this first act of this episode in a very, very brutal scene. I think one of the best scenes of season two up until this point. It was funny to see Bran woken up to this news where, uh, Bran, wake up. I've taken Winterfell. Like, what? Why? Why? Uh, (laughs) There seems to be no menace on Bran's part where Theon's like, you have to. You have to yield to me. And Bran's like, no, I won't. I won't. I don't don't know what you're talking about. Wait, wait, what? I also liked how Theon is like being like really granularly specific with like how he sacked Winterfell. Mm -hmm. He's like, I've sacked Winterfell. I've got a bunch of Iron Islanders with me. We threw like ropes up over the wall. We climbed the wall. We came down into Winterfell and we've completely taken over the place. And I could probably tell you some other details about exactly how we, we use did grappling it, hooks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just like, all right, well, you're here so we can tell that you've sacked Winterfell. I don't need to know every detail, Theon. Mm-hmm. Prince Theon. That's right. To you. Prince Theon. Prince Theon, indeed. Uh, and Bran, yeah, Bran really standing his ground such as he can and talking about how I'll never yield. We'll fight you. We'll throw you out. And Theon's like, come on, just be cool, man. Like, I, I'm trying to look all right in front of my new troops. Can't you just like we're, we're friends, right? Right. Uh, but things take a dark turn very, very quickly. Uh, yeah. It's it, it goes pretty sour pretty fast. Theon is having some sort of what would you call that? Like a press conference in front of <laughs> all the people of Winterfell and letting everybody know what's up, that he is now the ruler of Winterfell. He puts Maester Lewin in his place and tells him to start sending out ravens. Little does Theon know Maester Lewin has already sent out a raven that the Greyjoys have arrived at Winterfell. And so we end up uh, finding Roderick Cassell, who is on his way back from the siege uh, that was going on. Now, what happened? Did Theon, did Theon send some of his men uh, to the place that we saw Roderick Cassell head to last week? 
Yeah, maybe it was it was that or he left some people behind or maybe once Sir Roderick finds out what the real plan is and Theon means to sack Winterfell, maybe he comes back and he's just overpowered at that point. I think, you know, for a guy who does seem to be so detail oriented, Theon really uh, yada yada through that part or yara yard through that part, as we often say around these parts uh, of how he was able to, to apprehend Sir Roderick. But it's really neither here nor there because it is a very brief return uh, and a swift exit for this character who is one of like the last real remaining members of the old guard of Winterfell here from like the Ned Stark regime other than you know the people who are on the road actively with Rob and Catelyn right now so losing a character like this in, in this way yeah it's tough it's very very difficult yeah and so th- he ends up uh, insulting Theon and then finally spitting in his face. Uh, Theon wants to lock him up and throw away the key. So Theon keeps getting advice from this uh, Dagmar Cleftjaw and he's like, oh, Theon, you gotta, gotta kill this guy. Can't let, the, can't let him get away with that. And of course, Theon does whatever this uh, Dagmar tells him to do. Theon uh, really falls victim to the peer pressure. Dagmar Clefjaw. What a name on this guy. He sounds like a Star Wars bounty hunter. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just a ridiculous name. Uh, he kind of even looks like a little Dengar-ish, uh, just without like the, the head kerchief. But yeah, so this guy is going to tell Theon, uh, you can't let that stand. He spit in your face. You're going to pay. Like, he's got to pay. Um, and then, like, everyone else is, like, kind of imploring him, like, Maester Lewin's like, do not do this. Don't make a hasty decision. And I don't know if you played, uh, you're not a video game guy, really, Rob, are you? Not uh, too much, but I guess it depends on the video game. So you didn't play the the Game of Thrones video game that Telltale Games released uh, no, once upon no, a time. No, I did not. So so uh, Telltale Games, which is a, a really great video game company, they make games that are like choice based. It's almost kind of choose your own adventure ish where it's more narratively driven than like action adventure. It's all about like putting you in the character's perspective and making either decision A or decision B. And depending on what decision you make, the entire narrative of the story moving forward mm-hmm. changes. Really cool games. Their Walking Dead game is really, really great. And they made a Game of Thrones game, which I do not recommend to newcomers for Game of Thrones until you have finished season three. Once you have finished season three of Game of Thrones, you should play this game. Um, but this really feels like one of those moments where uh, you find the, you find yourself at these like climactic moments in that game where Whereas whichever main character you're playing at in a given moment, one person on one side is really, really imploring you to do one thing. And then another person on the other side is really begging you to do the other. And there's like time running out and you just have to make a choice. And both of them are awful. And that's where Theon is right now, where he is caught between these two terrible decisions of one. He can, you know, let Roderick live, but potentially not just lose the respect of the Iron Islanders that he has brought into Winterfell, but could lose a lot more potentially if he is not showing himself to be a true leader here. And then the other option is behead Sir Roderick in front of everybody in Winterfell and really even further alienate these people who you used to, uh, you know, call family or if not family, at least the people you were growing up with. So it's a it's a real nightmare situation for this character. And of course, it shouldn't be a surprise given the bravado he's been expressing ever since uh, the season began, really, really since the whole start of the series that Theon just decides to go deeper down the rabbit hole or the Roderick hole uh, and 
becomes the man who not just passes the sentence, but also swings the sword in a really horrible way and beheads poor Sir Roderick in front of everybody. And it's just it's such a revolting scene. It's shot so well, like the rain coming down in the middle of it and in the aftermath of it and this wild look on Alfie Allen's face. And it's just great because thematically it's really representing exactly where this character is at in sort of this tug of war between being uh, raised and growing up with the Starks, but being a Greyjoy by blood and uh, having the blood of a northerner on his face at the end of this. It's just, I thought, amazing. I I think this is the best scene of season two so far. Well, Theon is going to have another uh, rough go. Uh, Looks like maybe uh, an okay go for a little bit with Osha, who wants a different job. Uh, She doesn't want to be in the kitchen anymore. First, she says, put a spear in my hand. And then uh, she has a different idea for Theon. And so she ends up uh, going to bed with Theon. And then it's all part of a plan to get her and Bran and Hodor and even Rickon and the Dire Wolves out of Winterfell. And I actually uh, just watched Osha in a Black Mirror episode yesterday as well, Josh. Whoa, she's in the new Black Mirror. No, she was in the season two finale with John Hamm. Uh, so you're playing catch up. You're playing catching catch up. up on the binging Black Mirror. away. Binging, away. I'm taking binging the Black away. Mirror. Yes. Take it. <laughs> yes. Uh, good job. I like that. Uh, yeah, Osha is on the run with Bran and Rickon and Hodor and the Direwolves. Bran on the run by the Wings. Great song. Uh, and we'll see where that goes. But yeah, Theon's uh, losing some collateral here, at least temporarily, uh, in losing the two little lords of Winterfell. So whenever he wakes up, can't imagine he's going to be a happy camper. Okay. So we also have uh, a lot of time in this episode spent beyond the wall where we see John and Corrin half hand. Uh, They end up coming upon a a couple of wildlings and uh, they end up uh, capturing one in particular. Uh, Another couple end up getting killed off. But John is very surprised to see they have girl wildlings. Yes. Egret. She has a name, Rob. Hey, well, he didn't know what it was to start. <laughs> they, they exchanged names really quickly, which I, I thought was kind of awkward, where she's like, uh, my name's Egret. I gave you my name, so you got to tell me yours. He's like, yeah, I'm Jon Snow. Nice mm-hmm. to meet you. Uh, Jon Snow, who is definitely a little bit of a bonehead, uh, you know, very brave, but kind of stupid, as Egret will say about him. And even Corrin Halfhand calling him, a dumb, uh, he says, you're dumber than you look mm-hmm. to Jon Snow. Uh, but I think, I think uh, you know, these are... These are mean assessments of uh, the late Ned Stark's bastard son. Uh, but are they inaccurate? I don't know. The way that all of this plays out between John and Egret, uh, it definitely feels like that. Egret and Corrin have, and maybe they were on to something. To be fair, there's probably more than a few Jon Snows in the North. You feel like that's probably like a pretty common name. It's like John Smith, uh, John Snow in the North. But that being said, it made no sense to me why Corn Halfhand ended up leaving Jon Snow to execute this wildling in the way that he did. 
Yeah, I can't refute that. I can't really offer much of like, Okay, well, you seem like you're a little <laughs> hesitant about killing this wildling, so you might be shy, so we'll all go and look the other way so you could just kill this girl wildling and then we'll all just uh, rejoin each other on the other side of that hill. So you just take care of it. I know you're sort of like on the fence about it, but just get it done and then uh, let's all get back together. The half hand uh, implementing half measures on this one is mm. uh, is not a great look for Corin half hand. Uh, yeah, but she could I, scream. Uh, she could yeah. like uh, run away. There, there's like a, so many she things that could away. end up with them all potentially ending up having their cover blown on this covert mission. Why they leave him alone with her? It just made absolutely no sense. A little bit of a of a myth buster for uh, for the half hand. I think. I think at this point, uh, you know, this this is a guy who has such a great reputation for being like one of the most badass members of the Night's Watch. And if that's the case, and you know, he's making an executive decision like this, the Night's Watch truly is in terrible condition. You know, they really gotta they gotta step the, step up their game in terms of their senior membership. Lord Commander Mormont knows Jon Snow uh, is not the right guy for this. Yeah, no, he's like, you got to be a steward for a while. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> we, I really need to show you the ropes before I send you off on missions like this. So, yeah, I think Lord Commander Mormont's decision to send Jon off with Corrin Halfhand has already proven to be a poor choice. Uh, as, you know, Corrin leaves Jon Snow behind to kill Ygritte. And then John, like he has this moment where like it seems like he's going to behead her. It's a great line from Egret where she says, "Strike hard and true, John Snow, or I'll come back and haunt you." Mm-hmm. Like I just love her attitude; it's fantastic. And he swings the sword down in front of her, and like I can't tell if that's meant to be like an intentional miss. Is it an accidental miss? Because she immediately runs away, and then he proceeds to run after her and capture her so like what was he trying to do what was what was the oh, goal i don't think it was an intentional miss i just think he could not bring himself to do it got it got it got it got it uh yeah well tough tough times tough times for Jon snow uh egret seems to not be so mad at this guy uh, the two of them are ultimately going to they're going to join up as Jon Snow is going to catch her after she runs away. He's going to tie her up. They are going to fall asleep and it is going to be uh, difficult. She's to not find moving. Com- She's not hard moving. to find a comfortable position uh, as they're trying to fall asleep. Mm-hmm. Maybe let you grit be the big spoon. <laughs> yeah yeah john snow is the big spoon for sure in this in this situation just in terms of how it is uh how it is choreographed yeah okay some fun stuff going on at Harren hall with aria and tywin lannister uh we see tywin dressing down one of the people in his brain trust because i i couldn't tell did he actually send a letter with the plans to a northern house or he was going to send it to a northern house yeah i couldn't follow that either i guess uh much as amory lorch has trouble reading we have trouble following amory lorch he must not uh, have sent it because i don't think that they <laughs> got like uh you know return to sender uh or, you know sent you sent plans to the wrong house yeah they got a bounce back raven uh <laughs> maybe the maester caught this and was like uh lord tywin are you sure you want to send this to a northern house uh yeah 
Either way, like there's a little bit of just like amongst these people in uh, Tywin Lannister's inner council and even Tywin Lannister himself to a certain degree. uh, These guys should be so much better at this than they really are. Like how hard is it, you guys, to figure out that Arya Stark is right in front of you, especially Littlefinger, right? We got to we got to shame, shame Littlefinger in uh, one of these scenes here. It's just everybody in the Tywin Lannister circle of trust, like everybody's got got an issue uh, with people who are like senior members of leadership who can't read or Tywin has been having trouble connecting the dots on who Arya truly is, which I think is kind of ridiculous. Um, And also they're just very easily uh, uh, infiltrated, as we've seen with Jack and Hagar, who's just like a full time Lannister soldier at this point. Yeah. The education system in Winterfell really uh, leaves something to be desired. Uh, Maybe Davos could get his wife working on improving some things there. Yes. (laughs) Oh, God. Maybe Maybe she was in charge of it. Maybe she was in charge of it. Oh, my God. Okay. Okay. Well... (laughs) Also, Arya ends up stealing a note with some of the battle plans off of Tywin's table, then goes to go read it in broad daylight, which I think was a miscalculation, and then ends up running. I'm not sure where she was going to send a raven or send a well, you know, word to Jack and Agar, and then ultimately she ends up getting stopped in her tracks. Uh, by the same guy who couldn't read. I feel like that she potentially, I don't know if that guy couldn't read or if that guy was just dumb, but he's able to suss out that Ari is doing something that she's not supposed to. And then she ends up bringing in Jack and Hagar and uses her second kill on uh, a real uh, crimson shirt. Yeah, on Amory Lorch. And uh, it's a it's a it's a great moment where she says to Jake and Hagar, she says the name and he's like, OK, sounds good. She's like, you got to do it now. And he's like, I, this, these things take time. Like, you know, don't. Why are we in such a rush? She's like, Because he's going to blow up my spot. It's going to happen any second now. And it's such a great shot when he comes into into Tywin's like war room. And as soon as the door opens, he just drops dead because like some sort of what like poison blow dart has been shot into his neck uh it's just (laughs) like the mechanics of how all of that worked like jake and hagar i think uh much as craster is the strongest character we have met on game of thrones through uh past the midpoint of season two now i think we got to say jake and hagar is the fastest person that we have met in game of thrones so far take some speed to to institute that kill order so quickly right yet was captured by the king's guard uh Seemingly for no reason. Yeah, interesting. Very interesting. <laughs> well, we also had a lot of stuff going on back in King's Landing, and we end up seeing uh, first Marcella sent off to Dorne, as we alluded to, and then as they're walking back, we end up seeing a uh, a uh, flash mob ends up uh, gathering together to protest <laughs> Joffrey and first uh, they throw some poop at him and then he orders everybody to be executed and that doesn't play well in the streets no Joffrey come on man come on man that's never gonna work uh, but you know he had some cow pie on his face seize them kill them 
kill them all. Yeah. So he's like really being petulant Joffrey. He's very used to being able to just like get his way and have everybody obey his every command. But this is a great, um, you know, this is a great example of what Cersei spoke with Littlefinger about earlier this season. Power is power. Uh, You know, it doesn't matter if you're the king, if you are surrounded by an angry flash mob, uh, you know, you suddenly lose that power very quickly. Um, And Tyrion is just uh, he's just rip shit pissed with Joffrey. (laughs) He is so furious with him. It's been a while since we had a good Tyrion smacks Joffrey scene. And we get a great one here when he just smacks Joffrey in the face because he goes like, I hit you with my hand. And do you see my hand falling off? Mm -hmm. It's just great. Very, very good scene between those two. Yeah. Joffrey is really out of control between uh, he's (laughs) saying like, uh, you know, let the people in the street have Sansa. Let them. They can have her. Yeah, he hates Sansa. (laughs) You know, he's really anti Sansa. He's He's all over Tommen when uh, Tommen is crying that Marcella is leaving. You sound like a cat mewing. Mew, mew. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And I like Sansa being like, I saw you cry once. And I was like, wait, what? You didn't see that? (laughs) That never happened. And Uh, she's talking about that. Well, my brother cried. Is your brother a prince? <laughs> no, but my. Well, then uh, I <laughs> fail to see the point of your story. Ah, <laughs> uh, Joffrey's the best slash worst. What Kill a terrible them. character! Such a great character and such a terrible character <laughs> at the same time. Uh, and poor Sansa. Oh my God, goes through an incredible trauma in uh, in this episode where she gets split off from the rest of the group and she's being cornered by these three guys who mean to do her tremendous harm uh, and are just about to really get that underway. If not for the fact that the Hound shows up or the dog as Save Joffrey me, likes dog. to call him, the Save me, dog. So the dog has broken away from his master and he has saved Sansa stark in pretty epic fashion he eviscerates this one guy and like stabs another in the throat like you know just disemboweling going on yeah i think that i had this wrong when we talked about it at the end of the podcast last week exactly how this played out but it still played out really really incredibly like this is a great action scene where the hound kind of just gets his terminator on and just destroys these people and saves sansa uh just in the nick of time very good that he was there when he was there Okay. Also in Karth, we have uh, Danny trying to negotiate with the Spice King. Uh, see, she wants ships. He says mm, no, and then <laughs> we she goes back <laughs> home. And uh, most of the Dothraki that she came with have been assassinated, and her dragons are gone. This is bad. This is very bad. Daenerys's time in Karth has not been uh, really not been a joy for anybody, uh, but certainly it's been pretty bad for her. I guess it's better than the red waste. At least you are dressed nicely uh, and you have food in your bellies, but everyone's dying. Everyone's dropping like flies. Yeah. Where was Jorah during all this? I don't know. I don't know. We don't know. Somebody uh, somebody is out there with those dragons. There's got to be somebody under that hood. Could it be Jorah? Could it be Jorah who has the dragons? Mm. I don't know. Okay. All right. I uh, got to say, I think that this was the best Danny episode of the of the season so far. Uh, I think it's probably because I really I love the Spice King, the Spice <laughs> King. What a character. What a character. And, you know, like how he's like arguing grammar and everything. You got to get the Spice King and Stannis together. Those two would get along. 
I don't know. I find Danny here to be a little uh, Veruca Salt in terms of, you know, just, uh, I mean, the fact that the Spice King does make some good points here yeah. where she's like, no, uh, that I, I'm owed this. This is my birthright. Everybody needs to give me stuff. He's like, yeah. okay, well, what are you giving me? She's like, oh, you know, well, well one day uh, you'll be repaid. Yeah, and not for nothing, Veruca Salt threw a huge conniption over uh, over a, a very special egg as well, <laughs> as Daenerys is getting very upset by, don't you know I have the dragon eggs? I want it now, Daddy! Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Spice King kind of looks like Veruca Salt's father, too. <laughs> Veruca Spice. Yeah. So I, Danny is just a little uh, viscerous for me like at this she, point in time. Yes, if she stood on the on the thing like the the good or rotten meter, you think that she would fall through right now? Yeah, she's being a little rotten. Honk, honk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, Oompa Loompas, I think, could have fit right in with the thirteen also in car. <laughs> Yes. Like nobody oh would have looked uh, the other, you know, any cross at uh, like, oh, here's a 13. One of them is an Oompa Loompa. Do you think that there are any vinicious canids in Karth? Oh, certainly. Think- <laughs> 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 well, the other thing that was going on here in this episode also is Rob is, uh, you know, I guess it was a day off for the troops. They're just sort of like uh, like milling about. He ends up talking with uh, this uh Medic in the field, Talissa again, more flirtation going on. Cat reminds him like, hey, Rob, remember, you promised to another. Uh, and then we end up hearing word from Roos Bolton that Winterfell has been taken. And uh, that does not go well for Rob. He is very no. upset. No, he wants to he wants to kill Theon. He's totally out on Theon at this point. And Roos Bolton offers up a plan for how to solve the Winterfell situation. He says, my bastard son at the Dreadfort, which is where Roos is from in the north, uh, would be delighted to bring you Theon's head. Uh, so this guy, whoever he is, is going to lead the charge against Winterfell. And Rob doesn't want Theon's head. He wants to make sure that Brandon Rickon are safe. That's the most important thing. But then he wants the on alive so he can look him in the eye ask him why he did this and then he'll kill him okay now roose bolton has uh, not only a bastard but 500 men just uh ready to go back at the dread fort i feel like we could have used these guys yeah i don't know you got to keep some guys in the north right like, <laughs> that's I feel like- not how the starks operate the Starks maybe should have kept 500 people in the north. May have, may have been a, a good thing to do, given what Theon has just done. Okay. Anything else that you want to talk about from the episode proper, or we can get into spoiler territory? No, let's get into spoiler territory. Lots to talk about. Lots to talk about. Here come the spoilers. Spoiler alert. Oh, this is great. Now we can talk about uh, how clever we were to bring in those Willy Wonka references. I think people are going to be really blindsided when season three takes place in Loompa land. (laughs) I think uh, people are going to be really thrown for a loop. Unexplored. It's unexplored Loompa land. Stupidy do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Uh, Do you want to just stick with this scene in the the Rob Stark camp? Sure. Don't you love it when the show is really telegraphing the Red Wedding stuff? I think yeah. it's I think it's really, really fun. Yeah. So, yeah, Kat's like, oh, hey, Rob, remember, uh, it'd be nice if you could pick out who you want to date. But, you know, you have to remember you are promised to another. 
you are promised to another, uh, of course, Walder Frey's daughter in order to pass through the twins. Rob, uh, he gets his pick, but he is going to be married to a Frey. And that that agreement seems to be fraying to a certain degree at this point as Rob is getting closer and closer with Talisa. And as we know, having watched where this goes, he and Talisa ultimately will become an item. They will become married and it will be leading us directly into red wedding territory. But it's just great to see like that interaction between Rob and Catelyn and Talisa there. And then for Roose Bolton to show up, just knowing that all of these people are going to be deeply involved in the biggest turn of the series, at least up through that point and uh, I still think through seven seasons the most shocking moment of the show uh, so really just foreshadowing that in a really amazing way and Bruce Bolton breaks the news he said yeah, look uh, those Greyjoys are treasonous whores really <laughs> they're really the worst you can't trust those shameless. guys shameless the Boltons they really really are I mean like that's all that it takes you know it doesn't you know there's uh, you know no shame whatsoever and you can see is a whole bunch of power and so that is what Bruce Bolton demonstrates time and time again. Uh, also, very casually mentioning the bastard of the Dreadfort. Uh, so your your earliest indication here, or one of your many early ind- indications of the coming threat of Ramsay Bolton. We are not in the Ramsay Bolton era quite yet on Game of Thrones, but we are swiftly moving into that territory. We're moving into it. Uh, anything else from the battle plans of the Stark camp? No, not really. I, I guess I, I would have enjoyed uh, I would have enjoyed some sort of uh, Rob and Theon comeuppance at some point down the line. But of course, that shall never happen. No, you get it a little bit with John in the season that we just had passed where, sure. you know, he gets to meet up with Theon along the way. And obviously a much different Theon. Uh, I guess let's stick with Theon and the Greyjoys. And, you know, we do see that uh, Theon's Achilles heel uh once again is uh, that he is uh, very uh, easily seduced uh, often thinking with the wrong head theon while he has it you mm-hmm. know <laughs> that's not always going to be the case uh but i think that all of this with theon uh, again, and you know, I, I understand that Theon Greyjoy is not a character that really lands well with a lot of people. I think that he's a difficult character. I think he's a he's a problematic character in a lot of ways. But I think he's one of the most um, he's one of the most morally fascinating characters on Game of Thrones to me, just because of like the the journey that he goes on, starting as this real shit. You know, like he's really just a bad guy who's very self important, and he has a lot of identity issues because of what happened to him. And as a kid being taken away from his home and being raised with the Starks. Granted, the Starks raise him pretty well, but I think that culture and where he comes from originally, it's just never going to really neatly line up. So like you feel bad for him to an extent, but then he goes off and does, you know, you know, not even before, like even before he betrays Rob Stark, he's just, uh, just a terrible guy to, to OSHA in Winterfell time and time again, he's just proving himself to be a really terrible guy, but he really takes it to this next level in killing Roderick. And Roderick has that great line where he says to, to him, God's help you, Theon Greyjoy. Now you are truly lost. And I think that look that's on Theon's face after the very, very ugly botched beheading um, really 
really backs that up. And we are watching long before even the the reek of it all, which will be very painful to watch in season three when we get to it. Uh, I think we are watching, you know, kind of the death of, of Theon Greyjoy here, or at least the death of a certain angle of his identity. So I just I've always found this to be a really interesting storyline. Yeah. Theon tells Maester Lewin to send the ravens to his father and to his sister as, at uh, Deepwood Mott. So the Greyjoys, they don't know that Theon took Winterfell, correct? Not yet. No, this was him, you know, improvising. This was him making his own plan because he had just been kind of like sent to, you know, he had the one ship. He had the one ship and an insubordinate crew and was really kind of being, you know, like told, like, you can guard the base. Like, you know, he was basically being put on flag duty and capture the flag here or at least just like, you know, hide in the corner over there and let us do the rest of the the, the hard work. Uh, and he has this plan. For because he knows Winterfell and he knows how the Starks and the Northerners work, he has this plan to take Winterfell and he's operating on his own. And I think that he thinks that in doing this, he's going to be able to uh, to you know gain some respect and some uh, some new ground with the Greyjoys. And uh, it's not really going to work that way. Okay, we're going to see uh, Bran and Rickon leave uh, Winterfell together with Hodor and with Osha. Yeah, this is I, I like the the whole storyline of uh, of Osha uh, taking Bran and Rickon and Hodor and Summer and uh, Shaggy Dog. I like this squad. I think that this is a is, this is a solid crew of people. Uh, maybe the show doesn't always give them a ton to do in the future, but I think it's just a great party. I like the different character combinations you get on game of thrones and this is one that i like a lot and it'll be one that we're gonna deal with all the way through till the end of season three with the addition of the reeds uh with mira and jojen who in the book's version of events were already a part of this uh and i believe actually i don't remember i don't remember osha having too much to do she does take rick on uh and splits off with with bran and and the group but uh they definitely like natalia tena's turn as this character and gave her more to do uh which is why she's so prominent on the show up until this point until she disappears and then when she does return with rick on she's back for like five seconds before she is murdered by ramsey bolton <laughs> Uh, right. Yeah, they really just decide like, ah, yeah, there's really not much that we can do with this character anymore. Yeah. And they are on their way on a, a very long journey that will take uh, two plus seasons from the point they leave Winterfell to arrive at the uh, the, the tree, uh, the home of the three eyed raven. Yeah, I mean, they're, I, I, they're going to come back to the Winterfell area before the end of season two, if I'm remembering that right. Yeah, because it's in the Godswood where they find Maester Lewin, right? And Maester Lewin like, mm -hmm. has one final moment with Bran and Rickon. They're going to go hide for a little bit, right? They're going to go hide for a little bit in next week's episode or two weeks from now, depending on if when you're listening to this. Uh, the next episode, episode seven of season two, will be the whole hunt for Bran and Rickon as Theon is trying to find those guys. And he's not going to be able to. And instead, he is going to offer up a couple of uh, innocent bystanders uh, in their place. He's going to improvise. And, uh, you know, it's all terrible. All of this is terrible. It's it's just a, it's it's so painful. Very difficult stuff happening here mm -hmm. okay 
Well, let's uh, touch on some of the stuff going on in King's Landing. And uh, we had a moment where we're going to see Marcella being shipped off to Dorne. And we're going to have this quote that Cersei is going to say to Tyrion, where she prays that Tyrion falls in love with someone and that he loves her so much so that Cersei can take her from him. And mm. this is going to go back and forth a couple of times in uh, this war. Ultimately, it's going to play heavily into Tyrion's trial. And uh, this is uh, just a plant a flag in this. We're going to come back to this a couple of times. Yeah, we'll come back to this a couple of times. Even this season, she's going to try and find the person that uh, Tyrion loves the most, and it's going to be Roz instead of Shay. Uh, so that's going to happen. Of course, with uh, with Marcella rowing away from King's Landing and rowing towards the boat that's going to take her to Dorne, that's a very uh, that's a, that's a very loaded visual now, knowing how Marcella is going to show back up in King's Landing in the future under very similar yet very different circumstances as her corpse is rowed back on another tiny little boat in that very same spot. Uh, so just another fun thing to uh, fun is the wrong word. Uh, poor Marcella. It's a, it's a tough, it's a tough go for her. Yeah. But she has a good time in Dorne until she doesn't. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> she has a better couple of years in Dorne than most people uh, who live in Westeros. A good 50 years go on to do. So, you know, it's the quality over the quantity. <laughs> Oh, God, that's awful. Uh, yeah, I guess like if you're looking for silver linings, she has a decent final stretch. But uh, like that real like the the final final stretch is no is a couple good. of years in Dorn might be better than, you know, 60 years in Flea Bottom. Yeah, I don't know. I think that Marcel was living a decently charmed life up until that point. Pretty anyway. decent. You yeah. know, it's pretty de schoolish for sure. <laughs> Eventually, really de schoolish. Yes, yes, yes. That's going to be very, very difficult. What do you think of that line from Cersei to Tyrion of one day I pray you love someone? I pray you love her so much when you close your eyes that you'll see her face. I want that for you. I want you to know what it's like to love someone, to truly love someone before I take her away from you. Uh, do you think that we have seen that go off completely, or is that still hanging out there? Is that that like a, a threat or a promise that Cersei is going to like whether that's like Daenerys Targaryen. Uh, I don't think that we we feel that Tyrion is in love with Daenerys in any kind of romantic way, but he loves her in terms of her ability to be the rightful queen of Westeros. Uh, do we think that there is a chance that Cersei will be responsible for removing Daenerys from the story at some point down the line? Is this something that needs to be paid off? No, I don't think that. Cersei needs to target Daenerys because of Tyrion's affiliation with her. I, I think that there's just like a, Cersei is just in just sheer survival mode at this point where everybody has to die. There doesn't even need to be a revenge motive on anything. Yeah, I just wonder, like, if, if that is something that happens in the final season of the show, if Cersei's able to get one over on Daenerys and she becomes like the Queen Slayer or something like that to really mirror her arc more closely to Jamie's. I think I think that you could look back at this moment now and you could see that Cersei's own prophecy came true in its own way. Yeah. Also, I don't want to will that into existence because that sounds terrible. 
We see where Tyrion ends up slapping Joffrey around. That is this the impetus for uh, no pun intended on the imp. Uh, But is this really the genesis of the plot to assassinate Tyrion during the Blackwater battle? I mean, who do we really give the credit to for that? I think I think you're giving that to Joffrey. I think. um yeah, I could see it. I could see like this could be like the final straw, uh, the final straw for for Joffrey. Who there's been no love lost between these two this whole time. Um, I think that that's a good call. I also I love this scene with uh, the Hound saving Sansa, and this is something that I've really I, I I don't remember how much I've been championing this on the podcasts that we were doing for season seven, but it's certainly something that I really hope comes to light now that we know that the Hound he's going to survive everything that happens with Brienne. He's going to be traveling with the brotherhood without banners he is going to be firmly team Jon snow and team daenerys targaryen when it comes to the war against the undead uh i really hope that the ultimate fate for that character is that he becomes like king's guard for queen in the north sansa stark like i'm really really trying to will that into existence i feel like that would be a great way to uh to pay off all of the scenes that happened between him and sansa in season two and him saving her here i think that that would be a fantastic direction for the show to go yeah, I would love to see it. Uh, as I guess uh, you're still dug in on a Clegane ball, so we have to get that. Then he's going to the hound's going to survive that. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think I, I, my money is. I feel like you gotta. I feel like the Clegane ball. I guess could end in both Clegane brothers dying. But I want to see somebody win. I want to see somebody come out on top of that situation, and I don't want it to be the mountain because the mountain always wins. That's no fun. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Uh, boy, we got a lot to do in those six episodes. A lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's going to be like 90 minute episodes every single one. I think it's going to be I wouldn't be surprised, honestly, if they are all, uh, you know, decently plus sized episodes. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about what's going on in the north. And really, we have the origin of Ygritte and she's going to be with us now for a while. Uh, And it's fun having Ygritte back. I'm not going to lie. I love Rose Leslie, and I think that she does such a great job with this character. Obviously, there's tremendous chemistry between her and Kit Harrington, given their real life relationship that these two are romantically uh, involved in real life. I believe they are engaged as of this recording. Hey. Uh, so congratulations to Mr. Harrington and Ms. Leslie. Um, so that's great. And it is great to have her back on the show and just like to 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 have all of the I just like hearing her say John Snow. Uh, but you got to think about like, how does this all play out if Corin Halfhand does his job right? <laughs> you know, if Corin Halfhand does his job right, so much about this storyline changes. Yeah, and it really does play very funny, as if Jon Snow has really never seen a woman before, and <laughs> yeah, is really, sure. like, wait, what a, a girl? What? Oh. And he's just totally discombobulated, but the entire time. He's completely thrown for a loop. Um, I think another great moment that happens in this um, this scene beyond the wall. And by the way, uh, it's just it's so cool to to have. Uh, I, I thought this whole sequence was was really excellent because it really was so visually similar to the you know the episode that we got in season seven, which is controversial and a divisive episode. Beyond the wall, the penultimate. Um, it really did feel like this kind of like uh, you know before there was the East Watch elite like this. 
this was the crew, this like tiny cluster of soldiers. Um, and I love this moment between Corin Halfhand and Jon Snow, where he's talking to him about like what it means to be a man of the Night's Watch and everything. And it really felt similar to the conversations that John has beyond the wall in that episode, whether that's with Jorah Mormont or even more specifically with Beric Dondarrion. And I think that there's something to unpack here when Corrin Halfhand is telling him, um, you know, your death is going to be a gift for people south of the wall. They'll be alive because some nameless bastard lived his life for theirs. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it, it makes me wonder, like, is this sort of Jon Snow's destiny to some degree? I think at this point in time, Jon Snow's name is safely in the history books, assuming there are history books that will be written if mankind survives the coming war That's against Sam's the White job. Walkers. That's Sam's job. You know, Jon is already king in the north at this point. He was, you know, the 998th uh, Lord Commander of the Night's Watch, I believe. Uh, so he's already in there. Um, but will his Targaryen heritage, will that ever come to light? Is that something that he will will die without the rest of the realm knowing just how important this guy was as he gives his life to save everybody else in battle against the white walkers i've kind of felt for a while that that is the direction that game of thrones is going to take that story where he's going to be somewhat of an unsung hero in that regard so i just wonder if this line of corn half ants will add uh, have that added level of irony once all is said and done Let's talk about what's going on at Hall. And for a couple of weeks, you've been saying that should we perhaps ding Tywin for not realizing what he had here? There is a missing Stark girl. He identifies this isn't a boy. It is a girl. He is able to piece together that she's from the north. And I said, eh, you know, okay, uh, coincidence, coincidence. But at the point where he sees that she is a reader, uh, and of course, uh, thus being a highborn potentially would be a good reason, uh, especially when she throws out that a stonemason. Is this when the light bulb should have gone off for Tywin? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Yeah. No question about it. And I I mean, also, Littlefinger is going to show up and he's going to have eyes on Arya throughout this whole scene. Like there's going to be moments where like he is directly looking at her and he is like going to like do like double takes, triple takes. Like, you know, if this was a cartoon, his eyes would be bulging out of his head at certain points, uh, not to evoke uh, images of the Red Viper too soon. Uh, (laughs) But I I, it's just like these guys like Stark girl. How could you not figure it out? the one he cares about. How could you not figure it out? Yeah. Well, a couple of things here. So do we think, is there any possibility that Littlefinger did recognize Arya? And what would be the reason that he would keep his mouth shut on that? Uh, I would say that, you know, uh, Littlefinger knowledge is power, but he doesn't act on it. So I think that probably, uh, I think we should rule that out as a possibility. I think we've been on like the, the, you know, the myth busting tour with Peter Baelish for, uh, pretty much the entire time since this rewatch has started. So I think you just add this to the, to the growing document of reasons why Littlefinger seemed like he was on top of the world for so long. Uh, but clearly, uh, is just a little bit in the dark more than he would like to admit. Um, so yeah, I, it's great though, cause obviously like if he does figure it out and if he acts on it, 
who knows how things move differently. Uh, certainly, Arya Stark, this person who he can't recognize in this moment, is going to be the person who ultimately carries the sentence out on him as a character. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a lot of a lot of irony there in the fact that Littlefinger is just not able to to put this together quite yet. Too bad, too bad. Uh, Littlefinger missed the mark on this one. Now, did Littlefinger have a scene with Arya during the time that Ned Stark was in King's Landing? Well, he had that scene uh, at the at the tournament, right at the tournament of the Hand of the King. I know he's mostly talking to Sansa, but Arya is there. If, mm-hmm. I'm, if I'm remembering that right, yeah. But she has long hair. He's obsessed with the with the Catelyn Tully, you know, bloodline. Like you should be able to recognize Catelyn Tully's daughter at this yeah. point. He's really got a thing for uh, the auburn hair. I think that might be. I think Too that many might stark be it. features for Littlefinger there. A great line of Littlefinger's in this scene. Men love to blame demons when their grand plans unravel. Uh, and, of course, Littlefinger's grand plans are going to unravel not because of a demon, but because of some supernatural capacity of Bran Starks being able to uh, being able to use his powers as the three-eyed raven to dig back into the past and see the moment where Littlefinger betrayed Ned Stark. Uh, so no accounting for that. So I just thought that that was there's some poetic justice that's ultimately going to be paid uh, that's going to respond to this line here in, in Harrenhal. OK. And then, uh, of course, we have uh, wish number two used uh, again. Uh, she could have just uh, thrown Tywin's name out there. That could have uh, fixed that problem if she was thinking and, outside the box. Yeah. At that point, I think, uh, you know, Amory Lorch is more of like the urgent, um, imminent, immediate threat. And like even if Tywin Lannister drops dead, this guy who has the information on Arya is still out there. So I think in this case, I think she chose wisely. Uh, You know, I I see and hear your point about the tickler from last week. But I think on this one, like there's a, you know, time's a factor, Lois, as they say. I feel like that in any genie story, that that first wish is always wasted. Like nobody ever asks for something really big. It's like, oh, okay, oh, you're a genie? All right, well, then make me a ham sandwich right now if you're a genie. It's like, okay, yeah, well, I, that, I remember first that. wish. Rem- oh, come on! Uh, I remember that scene from Aladdin when Aladdin asks for uh, a, a ham sandwich from Robin Williams' genie, and he happily complies. And then there's the, that 30-minute sequence, famous, of Aladdin just, like, sitting in the, the Cave of Wonders, just, like, eating the ham sandwich. Mm-hmm. Then he's done. He's like, all right, well, what do we do now? Nobody's ever gotten a good first wish. Yeah. Well, he gets out of the Cave of Wonders, right? Like, isn't that his wish? Like, get me out of here, mm-hmm. I think is what he says. Uh, I don't know if that's verbatim, but uh, I don't know. We're not doing the Aladdin rewatch right now, so my memory on it is not too no, fresh. No, the, the stage play or the uh, cartoon. No. Oh. All right, let's then uh, bring it back around to Karth. And uh, Danny, you know, she was offered the hand in marriage uh, from Zaro last week. Uh, she refused. She turned that down off screen. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there was nothing else. I mean, that uh, the Zaro says it's marriage or nothing. I feel like that. Uh, I feel like that maybe there's like a middle ground here of maybe what if we date and I give you one ship? This is Game of Thrones, Rob. There is no middle ground. You know, that's baked into the premise. Uh, Spike Spice King was a fairly reasonable guy 
You know, he's like really talking sense here. He's like, I'm, I'm psyched for you that like your dreams come true and like you have a lot of bravado and I like that. And like, I love your passion and like, I don't doubt that your intentions are pure, but like the math does not add up. Like I got to do this logically. Like I came from nothing and now I'm a very powerful spice King. And that's because I do things logically. Like I feel like, you know, he is, he's giving her, uh, in, in this moment, like, it's just like, I can't give you all my ships. I need my ships for my spices. Mm -hmm. You know, Makes a lot of sense to me. I am a Spice King apologist, as it turns out. This is an unexpected uh, uh, side effect of spending too much time in Garth, I think. Yeah. Now, in terms of the uh, Danny's crew getting slain, uh, now, uh, who ultimately uh, pulled this off? Refresh my memory. I believe it is uh, Doria. Doria killed everybody. She killed off the Thraki guys. I don't know that she was the one who killed everybody, but I think it was like, I think it's like a combo of her and the warlocks and some of Zaro's Aaron Doxus's people. I believe that he is in on this plan as well. Again, as we've established along the way, I've tried to burn out Karth from my memory as much as I possibly Boy, can. Boy, a real conspiracy. And then <laughs> where was Jorah during all of this? I don't know. He's looking for that boat. <laughs> I went off looking for a boat. Yeah, I shouldn't have promised the boat. (laughs) It's a lot harder than I expected. Right. And who's carrying the dragons at the end? I think that that is Doria. Yeah, Uh, I think that that's, you know, she's under all of the under all of the sheets. And she came with the the, like uh, trappings of Karth. Yeah. Yeah. You know, she's uh, do a good job of setting that up because I can't tell if that's part of Danny's original crew. Yeah, they did nothing particularly well in season two with the Daenerys storyline is the is the truth. I'm like, is that the girl that was in the tub with Viserys back in season one? I mean, I, I can't really keep track of these handmaidens. I'm not yeah, watching no, Hulu. Yeah, it's the same one. It's the same one. It's the same person who is with Viserys. Uh, and now she is team XXD. But now she's a bad guy. Now she's a bad guy. She's on the side of the Anaconda Snakes. Okay. All right. Well, uh, there you go. Josh, anything else you want to touch on from this episode of Game of Thrones? The old gods and the new, which uh, is arbitrary of the name as anything. As as usual with these Game of Thrones episode titles, right? Like you really. uh, Well, here uh, in season two, especially. Yeah, it's been but it's been bad in season two so far. It's just like anything will do at this point. Right. Um, Just like some random game of thrones phrase generator was used to like okay <laughs> tack that one on there you that go works you know it works you know whatever gets the job done um yeah i think just to take it back to beyond the wall for a second um the moment where john snow has to chase after egret and he is able despite having like a fairly significant she has a fairly significant head start on him she he is able to outrun and like outsmart a wildling in her own territory to me really um, just further reinforces that Jon Snow should have been the guy to run back to Eastwatch. Uh, <laughs> like, he, you know, this dude, like he was fast. He knew shortcuts. They, like the arrogance on this guy for him to stay and uh, send Gendry. You're faster. No, you're proven to be pretty fast beyond the wall, man. So. Yeah, that was one thing that stuck out to me. Yeah, we also had for the first time the uh, "Where are my dragons?" Uh, was uttered by Daenerys. That kind of became a meme. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Where yeah. are my, oh, my dragons? dragons? Yeah. yeah. I think, you know, it wasn't quite like, uh, you know, Daenerys is going to have like some really epic, like, self introductions along the way, like declarations of her arrival and her presence. And I think we get a pretty great one here when she's, uh, when she's talking to the spice King of, um, Daenerys Stormborn of house Targaryen of old Volantis. And I will take back what is mine with fire and blood. Like that's the Daenerys that we know now. It's just, she doesn't have the, uh, the resume yet to, to really back it up. But this is season two is like the final season where she's like trying to figure some of that stuff out before she really goes on the war path starting with season three um i liked this episode a lot actually i think that this was the best episode of season two so far rob wow uh, I, I did feel like it was a little wheel spinning in places, you know, uh, fun to have you grit back. I wasn't as high on the Theon stuff as you were. I mean, I feel like uh, even the stuff at Harrenhal is fun, but really not too much happens of consequence. So uh, I'm less, flash I'm mob, less flash high. Flash mob scene. Yeah. Flash mob scene was crazy. Yeah, it was crazy. But um to me, it just feels like that uh, we are still trying to get to where we are trying to go and maybe that the uh, journey is not as exciting as the destination. This is the wheel spinniest season of Game of Thrones. For <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know? So, all right. So here we are now uh, that we will take one week off from our rewatch. Uh, we will probably finish rewatching the series well before Game of Thrones is going to be back on the air. It's tracking that way so far. Yeah, it definitely feels that way. But we will be back after our skip week. We will be coming your way with a man without honor is going to be the next episode of season two that we discuss. Uh, Episode seven of season two. And we are going to see some more action in Winterfell as Theon is trying to find Bran and Rickon who have run away. Uh, we are going to see a little bit more uh, development between Sansa and the Hound. We will see some more development between Rob and Talisa. And of course, the John and Egret situation is going to develop as well. And then unfortunately, uh, there will be a decent amount of Pyat Pre in the next episode. <laughs> so I, I got to brace myself for that. Get the blue lipstick out uh, for all the Pyat Pre stands. Love that blue raspberry. <laughs> all right. So we have that all coming up in our next installment in but two weeks time. Uh, make sure that you're following Josh Wiggler on Twitter. He is at round Howard. Find out everything he is working on for THR. I'm at Rob Sisternino. Uh, looking forward to digging into episode seven with you in two weeks' time. Take care, everybody. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.